Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 307 with Carmine Gallo. Carmine is showing how to harness the ancient principles of persuasion to make a bigger impact each time you speak up. So you'll learn, one, why storytelling is key in any field of work, two, the 2,000-year-old formula for persuasion that still works today, and three, the brain hacks that Steve Jobs, Leonardo da Vinci, and Picasso used to unlock their best ideas. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F307. Now here's Carmine's story. Carmine Gallo is an influential communications expert, Harvard instructor, and best-selling author of Talk Like Ted, The Storyteller's Secret, and his new book, Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. As a popular keynote speaker, Gallo teaches CEOs and leaders to deliver dynamic presentations and share inspiring stories that sell products, grow brands, and inspire change. He writes regularly for Forbes.com and Inc.com. So thanks to Carmine for taking some time to chat, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Carmine. Carmine, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, thanks, Pete. Thank you for the opportunity to help our listeners become more awesome at work. I think this will be a really fun one. And to kick it off, I understand that uh, there's a special creature in your life, <laughs> not a person, <laughs> Double Doodle. What's what's the story here? Isn't that the most ridiculous name? Uh, it's a Double Doodle, which we got a couple of years ago. So his name is Rocky, and he is... I don't know why they call them double doodles because they're actually a mix of three breeds. So it's, it's, triple it's lab. Yeah, triple, it's like a triple doodle. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a lab poodle retriever. Mm -hmm. And the poodle, you know, gets the smarts from the, from the poodle and uh, retrieves like a lab. And it's just, it's a wonderful dog. But for people like me who've got some allergies with the, the animals and the pets, this is great. You know, I get the best of both the worlds. So I'm glad that breed exists. Yeah, intriguing. Yeah. And so the name Rocky, what's the, the backstory? <laughs> okay, well, with a name like Carmine Gallo, okay, you can start putting the pieces together. I'm Italian, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, you know, it kind of goes back to the movie. What can I say? That's powerful. I love yeah. the Rocky movies so much when I was uh, a teenager and I rushed to the video store, actually, of all places to rent, <laughs> to rent them and, and watch them in quick succession. Which one is your favorite? Well, well Pete, I mean, I'll tell you, well, for the first one, uh, and I actually liked Creed, that last one that uh, they did, I thought was very good. But Pete, I got, I've got to tell you, in in the last few years, the Rocky has taken on a completely new experience for me, and not just because of my dog. I wrote a book on storytelling prior to this one, Storytelling in Business. It's called The Storyteller's Secret. And I began speaking and interviewing a lot of Hollywood producers and Hollywood type of people, because if you really want to understand storytelling, why not go to the source, the Hollywood folks who do it well? Well, Rocky has the greatest dramatic arc of any Hollywood movie. Most producers will tell you that. And so I, I started looking at it completely differently. And it helped me as a storyteller in business. Now you say the greatest dramatic arc. What, what makes it the greatest? In Hollywood, you need to have like that three-act structure. All successful Hollywood movies have that three-act structure, which is the setup, the conflict, and the resolution. 
And Star Wars obviously falls into that genre as well. In fact, George Lucas studied narrative and storytelling while he was writing Star Wars. But in terms of Rocky, the man is down and out, and not just a little bit. Okay, right? I mean, you know, his best friends are turtles. He he breaks thumbs for a living. You've got to you've got to start really down, and then so that arc of that that experience of reaching success is even more dramatic. And of course, there's hurdles and ups and downs. But the beauty of Rocky is that. It doesn't necessarily mean that at the end, a happy resolution doesn't mean you win the championship. You know, he didn't win. He didn't win. <laughs> spoiler but alert for those who didn't see the first Rocky yet. I'm so sorry. This is the important part. As long as the hero of your movie undergoes some sort of transformation, that's what's important to storytelling. The hero has to be a better person because of the experience. And we could actually apply that to business uh, very directly. So it's um, it's really interesting talking to Hollywood types, which I, I actually included some, some of the things they've talked about in my new book. I, I talked to some Hollywood producers and screenwriters about how to craft more compelling narratives. That's excellent. And so, well, let's maybe back up for a second. So your company, Gallo Communications Group, you know, what are you all about there? I write books. I do a lot of public speaking and keynotes. And then a third of my business is communication advising. I used to be a journalist. I was a trained journalist. I went to Northwestern, uh, worked for CNN, worked for a number of different media outlets for about 15 years. And then I transitioned into helping executives of all types in all fields become more effective and more persuasive at telling their stories, giving presentations. So I sort of became a presentation coach. And, but since then, I've, I've evolved into an author of nine books and a communication advisor to some rather large brands. Um, in fact, I like to say there is not any day that goes by when you are not touching a product or using a product or eating a product. I do a lot of agribusiness, too, for, uh, through whom you know, the, the leaders or the business people who actually make those products haven't gone through my workshops. Impressive. Very cool. All right. And so then your latest, the book's called Five Stars. What's the, the main idea behind this one? Five Stars, the subtitle is The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. So in a nutshell, it's in the age of AI, artificial intelligence, I make the argument that mastering the ancient art of persuasion, and we could talk about what that means, but mastering the ancient art of persuasion is no longer a soft skill. It really is the human edge that will make you irresistible and irreplaceable in the workplace. All right. There we have. That is a thesis statement for you. <laughs> and I've never been more confident, Pete. I've never been more confident about a book. I, I've written books on Steve Jobs and how he delivered presentations. I've, delivered, I've written books on how to give a TED-style talk. I've written books on storytelling and business. I've never been more confident that the one skill that sets people apart from the rest to go from average to transformational leadership is the ability to communicate emotionally and effectively with another person. And the whole book is really a ton of examples of people in a wide range of fields from CEOs down to college graduates who are being promoted above their peers who can credit directly 
their ability to communicate more persuasively as the secret sauce, the secret ingredient that sets them apart from the rest. So that's the whole metaphor of five stars. It's not enough to be average anymore. You can't be average. Not even good is good enough. You have to be exceptional. How do you get there? That's what I try to tackle. Okay. Now, you mentioned, you talk about being persuasive. I've been studying up on copywriting lately, and your fascinations or bullets associated with the book are very on point. So it seems like you already have street credit and authority for me just by reading your book description. So I can't resist. I'm just going to ask a few like directly off of there. So is this indeed the skill that Warren Buffett says raises our value by 50%? Warren Buffett is fascinating. So Warren Buffett was giving a discussion. He was in a class at, I believe it was Columbia University. This is when I first started studying Warren Buffett and persuasion and public speaking. So he's giving a talk at Columbia University to a school, to a class of MBA students, business students. And they said, what is the one skill that you think we need to excel in the workplace? That was one of the questions. And he said, point blank, you have to develop your skill as a public speaker. And he said, if one of you comes to me today, I'm willing to invest like $100,000 in your future earnings. I, for any of you, because of your degree, because of your degree, Pete, right? Because they have a business degree. So the degree counts for something. But then he said, and if you're a good public speaker, I'll increase your value by 50% on the spot. Okay, there we have it. That's when I started really focusing on this, the ability of certain people to be more persuasive, to have better presentation, better communication skills, it really does set them apart. But I think that's what's really empowering for all of our listeners today, Pete, is to understand that anyone can develop this skill. A lot of people, you know, men and men and women, young and older alike, it doesn't matter where you are in your career, I've met them all from millennials to senior CEOs, most people do have a reluctance to either speak up or to speak in front of larger groups or groups of people. It's a very natural nervousness that we have. To the extreme, it's called stage fright, but we all are a little reluctant to be judged by our peers in a social setting. And there's an evolutionary purpose to it uh, from what I've read. So it's really fascinating. But we have to kind of get over that hurdle, those nerves, and we have to really embrace the opportunity to speak in front of groups and in front of people at, at the workplace. But what's empowering, Pete, is that I have met and I've uh, heard from a lot of billionaires and CEOs and very, very persuasive, very successful people that they too had a, a real fear of public speaking, not just a little nervousness or being uncomfortable, but a terrifying, paralyzing fear of public speaking. And that's another reason why I like the Warren Buffett story, because he's very open about and candid about the fact that when he was a young, rising you know, professional in the stock brokerage industry, he had a terrifying fear of public speaking. And he said he went to a Dale Carnegie course and dropped out of the course because he was afraid to speak in front of anyone. So he, he finally got through the course a second time. And he said that was the greatest thing that 
could ever have happened to him, but he had to get over that. And to this day, it's the only degree, I saw this in a documentary, it's the only degree that he has framed in his office (laughs) above and over the, the business degree. They're not in his office. It's the public speaking certificate. And so that's why this content, what we're talking about today, Pete, is so important to all of your listeners, uh, because it really is the skill that will set them apart. Okay. Now we, I want to dig into that reluctance point a little bit. So I think some skeptics or those who are maybe just not into you know, doing the speaking, the, the persuasion might think, you know, Carmine really don't the best ideas rise to the top. Won't sort of the, the good, brilliant ideas be the ones that win while the ones that are intrinsically bad will just fall apart on their own lack of merit? What's your take on this one? Pete, I can trace throughout history, but let's go back, say within 200 years, uh, the greatest movements of our time were triggered by people, by people, by individuals who had the gift of persuasion who were better at communicating than other people. Uh, And you can go back, well, you can go back to the American Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, which actually I've I've, I've analyzed all of that, and it had all of the elements that Aristotle talked about and persuasion, ethos, pathos, logos, all that. But if you really want to get into it, you you can look back at people like Abraham Lincoln, who Doris Kearns Goodwin said was a better storyteller. People came from far and wide, from villages all over, to hear this this magnificent storyteller. John F. Kennedy, we never would have put a person on the moon if it had not been for John F. Kennedy being able to blend both the emotion and logic. He was a poet and a leader. Uh, And there's a lot of, there's actually studies on that, that he was persuasive and emotionally resonant. And, And there's a great story that I talk about. I didn't really know too much about this, but in the 1850s, uh, I guess people didn't realize that infections is why people died in hospitals. <laughs> so there was a, uh, in Britain, there was the Crimean War, and Florence Nightingale, I didn't really know about this story, but Florence Nightingale was a, you know, she was early stamped. She knew about more about science and, and health than anybody. And uh, she realized that, oh, wait a minute, people are dying of, they're not dying of uh, battle wounds, they're dying of infections. This is why, because there's germs in the air and they're infecting people. We didn't know this at the time. And she had to convince the British society at the time, who said, well, I mean, you're you're a woman, what do you know about science and technology and and healthcare? She said, no, I'm actually certain about this. Uh, so she was dismissed. She was completely dismissed outright by the the men at the time. And so she created the first pie chart. She created okay. like this color she created this colorful pie chart way before infographics ever were introduced <laughs> to actually show people visually why people were dying in hospitals. And it was because of that that the scientists of the time said, wow, that's pretty persuasive. So, so Pete, I, mean, I can tie this to almost any great movement of our time or any great uh, experience that has transformed society. We can actually trace it back to somebody who was a really, really good communicator. And there's a, there's a ton of examples, but my one third of my book is history. Well, and I think that that's, that's intriguing. And now 
if, if I'm going to kind of go a little farther here with the devil's sure, advocate play. Yeah. Now, I would say those seem like good and true ideas. Infections are problematic. Freedom, <laughs> independence is, yep. is good. Maybe yeah. could you share a, an example of how great persuasion made a terrible idea that should have lost, in fact, win and take root? Oh, <laughs> well, see, now you'll get me into trouble with that because <laughs> the, uh, there are a lot of, there's certainly a number of issues. I mean, you, you, you can look at politics, you can look at all sorts of different issues of our time where, and this is something that I study, there are a lot of complicated issues out there, a lot of complicated issues in business and, and in geopolitics. The ability to communicate those, those issues and explain those issues really, really clearly is something that a lot of people really need to understand and, and study and take seriously. Narrative, for example, is being studied everywhere, Pete. Narrative, storytelling, is being studied in hospitals. It's being studied in healthcare because we know that doctors are not the greatest communicators. It's being, st- uh, being studied in science. Because you can have a great idea as a scientist, but if you cannot persuade another person of that idea, then those great ideas get lost. And that's problematic. And in fact, over the last year, I've actually been contacted, I'm not exaggerating, by about five different departments within the U.S. military doing completely different things, but they are all studying narrative because it's, it's crucial to study why people behave in a certain way. So in my opinion, Pete, if regardless of whether it's in, in business or any field, if you can really get good at understanding narrative, I, th- I think it's an, an amazing skill that will help you succeed in, in any in any industry, any field. Okay, well, so let's talk about how that is done. In practice, yeah. how does one master this narrative, persuasion, inspiration? Yeah. One more thing before I forget, and I'll, I'll get right into that, Pete. One of the reports that I read that kind of prompted me to write the, a book just on the art of persuasion, I read a report last year, 94% of hiring managers will say an employee with stronger communication skills has a better chance of being promoted than an employee with more years of experience but weaker verbal skills. So that, that's the why. That is the why behind this book. So let's get into, well, how do you do it? Well, one is to recognize that persuasion is something that actually does come naturally to us. Storytelling, for example, is is a big part of persuasion. And that is something that is innate in us, is part of our DNA. Uh, I'm sure you've looked, you may have heard about the history or the science of it, but there's a lot of science now which shows that the way we connect with one another is through uh, storytelling, telling anecdotes, telling stories about one another. That's the best way of transferring ideas from one person to another. And this has actually been shown in labs with neuroscientists I've talked to. But it comes naturally to us. We are natural storytellers, Pete, until we get into the business world. And then all of a sudden, we open something called PowerPoint, (laughs) which, (laughs) which is... I have nothing against PowerPoint 
per se. I've actually seen beautiful, beautifully designed presentations. But it is the, one of the least effective ways of transferring an idea to one another, especially using bullet points, which is why you never saw a bullet point on a Steve Jobs presentation. Uh, he used a different presentation software, but you never saw bullet points. I mean, he had an intuitive feel for, for story and for narrative. Uh, so this is something that very, that very much comes naturally to us. And what I like to do, and I think this has been very effective in terms of showing, helping people through this, because I know how abstract this could sound, Pete, storytelling, narrative, persuasion, it sounds so abstract. The formula was handed down to us 2,000 years ago. We, we know how persuasion works. We know it. And science proves it. And now we know it because 2,000 years ago, a really smart guy named Aristotle gave us the formula for persuasion. And he said, in order for me to convince you of anything, I need to do three things. I need to have three things. Uh, he called them appeals. Uh, you may have heard about these before, and so have your listeners, but it's worth repeating. One is ethos, which is my credibility, my integrity. So before you interviewed me, Pete, you went online, you kind of looked at, oh, he's got nine books and here's how well they're doing. And all. that's my credibility. That is part of who I am before I even enter a conversation. Then I need the data. That's, called, that's what Aristotle called logos. I have to make a logical argument uh, for you to accept my idea. I need to deliver data and information and facts like the one I just delivered to you, the 94% of hiring managers. Uh, so I need to do that as part of my persuasion toolkit. But without pathos, which is making an emotional connection to you through the power of story, then the other two don't matter. So I have studied TED speakers, for example. I've studied the most viral TED Talks of all time. And I'm pretty close to the TED, uh, the TED conference, too. They know of me. I know, I know them. And I've worked with different TED speakers. The best TED Talks are the ones that blend all three. So if you want to be persuasive, ethos is, is oh, we could set that aside. That's just establishing credibility for who you are. So that's, that's your resume. Those are your credentials. But you have to be able to use facts, figures, data, and logical reasoning in order to convince your boss or your team to accept an idea or to take action for an idea. But what I have found, especially in the great TED speakers of all time, 65% of their presentations fall under what Aristotle called pathos, which is story, emotion. So you have to have a right balance. Pete, when you walk into any conference room in corporate America today and you watch a, a standard PowerPoint presentation, it's 99% data 99% logos and only 1% maybe pathos. It, it needs to be more of a balance. And I argue a higher element needs to be emotion and story followed up by the data. So that, that's actually, it, it's hard to get across to people because I think people are just, uh, they're, I'm not going to say they're not courageous, but I feel like they uh, rely too much on the data because they think that it's, they're being more persuasive that way, where really the, the, the smartest people uh, and the people who are the most successful in the fields are very much use a, a combination of both emotion and data. 
I could give you a perfect example of that if you like. Well, I, I guess I, want, I do want to hear that example. And, and it's true. I, I, I'm thinking about some of my favorite TED Talks, like with Amy Cuddy, hearing her journey of transformation, like, oh, she didn't think she was good enough. And then, oh, and by the way, if we look at the cortisol levels in blood after engaging in power posing <laughs> and they are different, I was like, oh, well, there you have it. It's kind of hard to argue with, with the oh, data. It's, Gee, let, me, let me stop you there. Yeah. Perfect. Amy Cuddy, Harvard researcher. Perfect. Yeah, there you okay. go. All right. Let's stop. I'm going to stop you there. Do you remember any data? She had a lot of data in that TED Talk. Do you remember anything? I'm going to put you on the spot. I, love I, I think there was a bar data. chart that I, that was, I don't remember the specific numbers, <laughs> but I was like, yeah. whoa, that's definitely quite the drop <laughs> was, was what I yes. remember. Yeah. Well, what's the first thing you remembered? Well, yeah, she had her, her story associated with, she felt kind of outmatched in the academic environments. Like maybe she didn't belong there. Pete, you just confirmed the thesis, which, uh, neuroscientists are concluding in a lab. You and I, as human beings, are wired for narrative, are wired for story. It is the most effective way of recalling information that we, that we have. It's, it's the most fundamental verbal tool that we have in our toolbox. I, I, you talk about courage maybe being the missing element. I guess, okay, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of, of someone about to give a, a presentation to, let's just say, a vice president of a corporation with, with tens of thousands of yeah. employees. Well, and let's so, say confidence, maybe confidence more sure. than courage. Well, and, and I guess I'm wondering, I, I guess it's a little spooky, well, one, to buck the trend of the norm of, of what you see all the time. And two, like if you start and say, all right, Matt, Pete is a customer in Chicago who purchased our product, and, and Pete was having some difficulty opening the, the packaging. I, I guess I'd be a little concerned that the you know, executive there would be like, do you have any idea how busy I am? How about you get to the point right away so that we can make this meeting shorter and I can continue generating gobs of shareholder value? Oh, Pete, I, I, and we can handle that one too. Let's do it. We can, okay, everything, everything falls under storytelling. But let's be let's be clear. When I talk about storytelling in business uh, as a way of setting you apart from your peers and everyone else, it doesn't mean necessarily. Oh, I'm going to tell you a personal story, or I'm going to tell you a story about uh, this this persona. It simply means using the elements of persuasion and story and pathos that we know work. Here's another element. Remember, at the very beginning of this conversation, we talked about Hollywood movies. All successful stories, whether they are books, movies, plays, or presentations, have a structure, a formula. There has to be the setup, the conflict, the resolution. There's no successful Hollywood movie that actually doesn't really fall in those three buckets. It's a formula that works throughout all of time. They've traced books back thousands of years. There are hundreds of years. The stories in the oldest books follow this formula. So it's not, it's not something that we just made up. This is just how the brain works. So if you've got 10 minutes in front of your boss, you can think of that story structure. It doesn't have to be a particular, particular story. It can simply be the structure of narrative. So you can start with, uh, here is where we are today. Here's the status quo. Here is what our company is dealing with today. Here's the hurdle. Here's the problem that is manifesting itself or the problem that's going to come up if we don't handle this particular issue today. Here's what the world, 
our industry or our, our company will look like once we've handled the issue. So if I've got 10 minutes in front of you and I have to make an argument for something, I'm going to be thinking, I'm still going to be thinking in narrative structure, Pete. Uh, I'm not going to spend 10 minutes telling you, you know, the, the, this amazing story of somebody who, whose life was transformed by a product because you're right. My boss is going to say, you're wasting my time. I don't have time for this fluff, but I can still grab your attention by saying, here's the state of our company today. Here's a conflict that's happening, and this is going to cause a lot of problems for us. And here is the potential solution, or maybe three solutions that we can choose from. And here is how the world, our company, will look after either of these is implemented. So I'm still using a narrative structure. I can also use metaphor and analogies. Warren Buffett is a big fan of this. And this goes back to Aristotle as well. When Warren Buffett talks about something complex, like financial strategies, he'll often use a metaphor. So he will compare the abstraction to something concrete. And metaphor has been found to be one of our, again, one of our most effective verbal techniques. Uh, but that, that still falls under Aristotle's pathos or emotion. Aristotle gave us these formulas thousands of years ago, and we can use them today to really stand out in any field. So in terms of the, the, the three-part you know, evolution there and the, the storytelling arc and, and pathos, you're saying that even if you're not telling a quote-unquote story insofar as an individual did a series of events and this is what unfolded, it's still a story if we start with, here's where we are today, here's the problem, and here's what it looks like if we fix it versus don't fix it. And then I guess for the logos, you're just sort of laying out the data associated with it, like we'll lose $43 million if, yeah. if we don't fix it. And so, so that's sort of like it's exactly. integrated into that, that pathos arc. Pete, we will lose $43 million if we don't take this action. That is the logos. And then I can follow that up with, here is an example or an anecdote of a company that uh, was in our similar position and did not take action. That's the pathos. That's the story. So you're still using the elements of narrative and everything we, we've learned about connecting with people emotionally, but you're just simply putting it into an abbreviated form. And, and Pete, th this is a big deal. The ability to speak, and we can move past storytelling, but the ability to speak concisely and clearly in 10 minutes, 10 minutes is actually a good rule of thumb, is something that very few people have, but everyone can build on it. I was at, and I wrote this in the book, and I had to be very careful about what I what I said, but um, I, I felt pretty good about it. Last year, I was actually invited to a kind of a secretive Air Force base in the middle of the desert. You know, it was one of those. Is it where they have the aliens, Carmine? Come clean right now. It was <laughs> close to it. It was close to it. You saw so alien corpses so, over there. So I had, so I was actually asked by a very, I'm not going to call them secretive, but it's a very elite group of Navy and Army officers who are the top 1% in those particular departments. And they are dealing with, they are the ones being trained, being trained to deal with some of the most sensitive global issues of our time. And I, w I went to their class. I actually sat there for about four hours listening to this class 
they had one of my books as their required reading. And, you know, they were dog-eared and, and they were looking at them in paperback and it was all marked up. So they were actually they were actually using one of my books. I thought it was fascinating. And then, you know, near the end of it, I said, why? Why would they need this kind of book for the most complex issues of our time? And Pete, I'll never forget what the instructor said. They said, Carmine, when these officers graduate this program and they go into the Pentagon or the White House or they go all over the world, they will have sometimes 10 minutes to make an argument. And that's it. Why should we take this direction over another one? And you'd be able to, you have to be able to give your, tell your argument, make a persuasive case in as little as 10 minutes. But wow. Okay. (laughs) You would think there'd be a little bit more debate about some of these issues, Uh, but you understand, you you understand where that's coming from. And I think that's something I've heard this in, in business as well. Andy Grove at Intel, he would give you 10 minutes to give him a presentation. People would go in there with these stacks of PowerPoint slides. They were ready to talk for uh, 60 minutes. And he said, you've got 10. If you cannot express your idea in 10 minutes, clearly, succinctly, and in a compelling way, I'm not interested. So you see, Pete, it it really does get back down to this idea that whether it's through the uh, elements of persuasion, the elements of narrative, or simply the ability to communicate your idea concisely, and in a way that engages both my emotion and my reasoning and my intellect in a short amount of time, that's, that's a pretty powerful skill. Oh, that is. And I want to make sure we get to hit two quick tactic tidbits right before we shift into hearing your favorite things. So first, these fascinations, so compelling. What is the brain hack Steve Jobs, Leonardo da Vinci, and Picasso used to unlock their best ideas? <laughs> oh, did you get? I think you got that from one of the chapters of, uh, of well, the book. Well, yeah, yeah, I gotta know. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a fascinating brain hack, and I'm sure you you've come across this before. But it's the idea of getting out of your industry and looking outside of your industry for the most creative ideas. So connecting ideas from different fields and applying it to the field or topic that you're working on today. That is the secret to creativity, to kind of jumpstarting your creativity. That's why people like Steve Jobs, if it wasn't for Steve Jobs, and you know this story, but if it wasn't for Steve Jobs taking a calligraphy course in college without any indication that it was going to be used for anything other than just a creative outlet. If it wasn't for that course, we never would have had this beautiful font and typography uh, and desktop publishing that we have today because he brought it into the Mac. Uh, And so he was, and he did this all the time. I did a lot of research on the Apple store. The Apple store was not inspired by another computer store. An Apple store was inspired by the Ritz Carlton. So that's why it's fascinating. That's why they, they do not have cashiers, but they have a concierge greeting you at the front. That's why there's a bar in the back of every Apple store. It doesn't dispense alcohol, dispenses advice, called a genius bar. Okay. And, and that is, that's a fact, because I learned it from some of the top retailers at, uh, who worked on the Apple store. So this was the genius. The genius was looking outside of your field for inspiration. And, you know, you have to be able to kind of follow your passions, follow your creativity and trust that those 
that something is going to connect. Walter Isaacson goes into it in his book. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci was surrounded by people in Florence who were not just painters and sculptors, but they were artists and, and they were merchants. And just by being around people who were outside of his his little echo chamber, today we call it an echo chamber, Pete, right? Yeah, I mean, you just we surround ourselves by the same like-minded people who think the same and act the same. Instead, you have to kind of get out of your zone and start talking to other people and reading things that you wouldn't otherwise read and traveling to places you wouldn't otherwise travel because, and scientists have told me, that is the best way of getting your brain to think completely different and differently and creatively about problems that you're working on. That's why Lin-Manuel Miranda came up with Hamilton only after he picked up a book that he rarely would have read, which is a history book on Alexander Hamilton, and went on vacation to read the book. That's when the ideas came to him, not when he was sitting in front of a computer screen. So the best ideas, the most innovative ideas in the world, in almost every field, actually happen, and there's a lot of science behind this, actually happen when people are outside of their field. Isn't that, it's so fascinating to me. But uh, the reason why I put it in a book on persuasion, Pete, is because those people who can think outside of their field and can bring in different elements from completely different fields and associate these ideas are much more interesting communicators. I'm sure you've seen that too. People who read a lot, like, like Bill Gates, a voracious reader, they're interesting people because they are looking outside of their field for inspiration. Would you agree with that, Pete? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and it's it's cool. I, well, I was just at the new, just insanely gorgeous Apple facility on the, the Chicago River there, downtown here. And it was so funny. I didn't even know what exactly we were stepping into. <laughs> Once you I got there, it's like, it it like, whoa, what is this beauty I'm beholding? And then you go down the stairs and you say, oh, it's an Apple store. I, I didn't even exactly know what activities transpired in this Apple sponsored building. <laughs> it was it was really cool. I've actually never seen that. I've never seen that story yet. There's actually a really, really good lesson uh, here, by the way, for all of our listeners. Steve Jobs asked better questions. So when they were creating the Apple Store, he did not ask, how do we sell more computers? That was not the question he wanted answered. He asked, how do we enrich people's lives? How do we enrich the lives of every person who walks into a store? And that's why the Apple Store looks the way it does because he asks more empowering questions. Really interesting. Well, that is excellent. Well, now I'd love to hear some of your favorite things. Let's hear a favorite quote, something you find inspiring. I actually came across a quote that I heard in a TED talk uh, last year, and I've been using it a lot, and I put it in one of my chapters in the book. And it's actually by Gary Kasparov, the, the chess champion who lost to uh, IBM computer. Remember that? A long time ago. So he gave this incredible TED Talk that, and it inspired me to write, to write more on my book. And he said, there's only one thing, or there's one thing, there's one thing only humans can do, and that's dream. So let's dream big. I do like that. Thank you. I, oh, man, I love that because he really, and, and that's where I realized there is a human edge here. There is a way for us to outsmart the smart machines that we're building, but it requires us getting back to what we do best, 
which is making those emotional connections to each other. I love that, though. It's like there is, that's true. There's only one thing we can do. That's dream. A machine can't dream. So we might as well dream big. Awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Okay. I read about 75 books a year because I, I write a lot for different platforms. So my favorite recent book is the same book that Bill Gates said is his favorite book of all time, and that's Stephen Pinker's Enlightenment Now. Uh, so you may have heard of that Harvard psychologist who has 500 pages of evidence on as to why we should actually be very, very grateful for the life we're living today, because we've made so much progress in every measure of living, which is pretty pretty amazing. But it's a hard book to get through. There's some wonderful passages, but it's 500 pages of data. There's not a lot of pathos going on there. Uh, so my favorite category, Pete, recently has been those kind of progress books. There's Hans Rosling's book is called uh, Factfulness. I would start with his. I'd start with Steven Pinker's book. And I'd uh, also read a, a Swedish historian named Johan Norberg who wrote a similar book. So there's a number of books in this category. I call them progress books. Uh, But I got to tell you, Pete, after reading about five of these books in a row and speaking to three out of five of the, uh, the authors, you'll never complain about anything again. (laughs) I mean, it's, Pete, it's weird. I won't complain about a delayed flight. I won't complain about being in a long line at Costco because you look around, you realize, wow, this is never in the history of civilization. Have I been able to access this much food in one place or, or get from here to where I have to get in, in a few hours? Yeah, you get to a point where you actually you feel so grateful that it's hard to complain. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, and what, what a transformation and a value to install some permanent upgrade of gratitude inside you for just by reading five books. That's a, that's a good trade. Very cool. We need that as all of your listeners need that, because if they want to set themselves up as leaders and as people who aspire for more, especially in their career and workplace, they can't think like the average person. So these books will teach you that there is a bias psychologically toward the negative, which is why it's so easy for all of us, Pete, to go negative. But if you want to be a great leader, you got to stand out. You know, you got to see things for for what they are, and you have to be much more positive. But it takes a little work. It's actually kind of hard to do to reframe everything like that. And could you share with us uh, a particular favorite resident nugget? Something you share that really seems to connect, get retweeted, note taken profusely. Yeah, I wrote this two books ago when I wrote a book on the TED Talks called Talk Like Ted, and I made an observation. That in, uh, and I go back to Steve Jobs. I know I've mentioned him several times, but uh, I, one of my first communication books was about Steve Jobs. So I know a lot about Steve Jobs and Apple. At the end of his last major public presentation, he again, he asked an empower, empowering question. He said, What makes my heart sing? And he said, it's, it's the intersection of technology and liberal arts that makes my heart sing. And so I actually used that question, and I said, this is a great question to ask ourselves, because if you ask what you do, then uh, it's pretty factual, you know, it's pretty unemotional. Karma, what do you do? I'm a communication advisor or an author. Then if you ask, what are you passionate about, which is a very good question to ask, and I ask my clients that all the time, what are you passionate about? You still don't get a really deep response. Uh, so I can say, well, I'm passionate about communication skills. 
But then if you ask, what makes your heart sing? Then all of a sudden you get completely different reactions from people. And so for me, what makes my heart sing would be to help people with ideas that can potentially change the world, articulate those ideas in a way that get heard. When you ask what makes your heart sing, and you could try this with with, uh, other people. I do this with clients all the time, Pete. So in order for me to really elicit the the best communication uh, messages and the best presentations and the best stories, I ask people, what makes your heart sing? It's, it's very interesting. But anyway, that is that is a portion of one of my books that actually gets retweeted and posted on Instagram quite a bit. So, so I, I saw how it resonated with people. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was, hey, that's a cool way of looking at the world. But it seems to resonate with a lot of people. Well, I like it. And I'm going to try it out and, and see how that plays in uh, opening conversations with people, because I, I think you can get right to some fun stuff quickly. Use it as one of your questions. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what people say. Use that as one of your questions, and you'll see that their answers are unexpected, very different than what you would think. That's cool. And Carmine, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? CarmineGallo.com is going to be the easiest way to get a hold of me or remember me. I've got my, it's a good Italian name, so it's kind of hard to, hard to forget. Uh, but CarmineGallo.com, that's where you can join my newsletter. You can learn more about all of my books, including a new one. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? The final call to action is understand that you have an edge in the workplace. You have the ability to be irreplaceable and irresistible if you master the ancient art of persuasion. And ancient being critical because it's a formula that we know works and we know how it works and we can prove it. That's good. Thank you. Well, Carmine, thanks so much for for sharing this time and expertise. I hope your book, Five Stars, is a smash hit and good luck in all you're up to. I hope so too. Thank you very much, Pete. I, uh, I put a lot of work into it and I'm very optimistic and very confident about it. And if people want to just learn more about that, they can just look it up, you know, Five Stars, it's sold every, everywhere or the Five Stars book, the Five Stars book.com. Uh, but you can also get it through my website, Carmine Gallo. Perfect. All right. Thank you, Pete. I had heard the ethos, pathos, logos a time or two before, and yet, nonetheless, it's so effective to hear it again. And just to remember that there's three ingredients, because it's quite common to forget one or two when you're building your persuasive recipe. So I just encourage you, maybe even make a quick little checklist to confirm, all right, am I hitting something that's emotional, engaging, compelling, a story? Am I conveying some real hard facts data that are sort of real proof points that have compelling power in that way for the rational side of the brain? And am I ensuring that I am believable, credible, that I am a relevant person to be speaking on this matter? And am I conveying all of those things effectively. A great reminder to make sure that you are not overlooking a critical piece of the persuasion puzzle. So thanks to Carmine for that. Hope you dug it and other pieces. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F307. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest, Alan Gannett. He is talking about what makes ideas catch on, become persuasive, intriguing, popular, spread, wildly successful. Peace. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 